Welcome to the Borrando el Estigma, or in English, the Erase the Stigma podcast, where we have real and sometimes Spanglish conversations about various topics and factors impacting the mental health of Black, Indigenous, people of color, BIPOC. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Gray, a licensed psychologist in Las Vegas, Nevada. For more information, visit the website at borrandolestigma.com or at erasethestigma.shop. I hope that you not only enjoy this conversation, but also learn lots of valuable information from the podcast that will contribute to erasing the mental health stigma in your home and in your community. However, please know that this is not a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hola, and gracias for tuning in for episode two of the Erase the Stigma, Borrando el Estigma podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Gray, a licensed psychologist in Las Vegas, Nevada. This week's episode is called Tough Love. We dissect episode two of the Netflix Selena series from a psychological perspective. So if you haven't watched it yet, know that there are spoilers in this episode. I sit down again with Dr. Claudia Mejia, a licensed psychologist, to dissect the episode and we discuss psychological and cultural factors such as representation, Latinx parenting and parenting in general, anxiety and anxiety-based disorders, the impact of coping and the importance of validation. So let's get into it. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Erase the Stigma or the Borrando el Estigma podcast. My name is Dr. Sandra Gray, and I am your host and a licensed psychologist in Las Vegas, Nevada. I am back with Dr. Claudia Mejia, and today we are talking about episode two of the Selena series on Netflix. Dr. Mejia, how are you? Thank you for joining me again today. Doing well. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. So I hope you guys enjoyed the first episode and we really got to dissect some of the psychological issues that came up, especially those factors um, related to, you know, being a Latinx, specifically first, second generation Latinx, because I think we have some really unique um, issues that we face oftentimes. And so today we're going to just jump right into it. So episode two opens up. We see Selena, she's singing at a, like a club or a bar and she's singing in Spanish. And so they're starting to get some, they're starting to get known, right? Where, where they are in, in Texas. And so you hear a couple talking about like, do you think we can afford them for the wedding? And you know, Abraham, who is a cold salesperson jumps in and he's like, hell yeah, you can afford us. And gives her, you know, gives them the card or whatever. And so we see that, you know, she's performing. And then after the show, this little brown girl comes up and gives her a flower, right? And she can tell she's like watching her from the stage and just kind of an admiration of her. And I think I, I kind of thought about how we all feel about Selena, right? Like this is someone that looks like us. And I, I could kind of feel that um, coming through with the little girl, the way she looked at her, the way she gave, you know, gave her the, the rose and, and um, wouldn't take, you know, wouldn't take any money from her. She's like, this is my gift to you. What did you take from that? It was such a, I think, beautiful scene for me, like thinking back to, it, it's all about representation, right? I, I think oftentimes, especially now, and it's in the conversation more, but I think some people still don't really understand it completely. Um, but I, I just remember like thinking back to, Pocahontas was one of my first like favorite Disney movies, but really it was because like, oh, she's brown, I'm brown. This is kind of the connection, right? And yeah. to, to have that moment with the little girl seeing Selena, right? It's definitely because of talent, but also because of that representation, right? What that meant, like this is someone that looks like me. So what does that mean for me? Yeah. Yeah, someone that resonates with you, right? And we can tie that into mental health, absolutely. Because I remember, you know, coming up, uh, well, growing up, period, right? Here in, in Las Vegas, predominantly, for most of my life, at least. And even as an adult going to seek out therapy, not having very many options in terms of representation for myself. And so one of the things I've learned, not only through my, like, my own therapy and 
therapy working with other Latinx folks is how much representation really matters, not just like in the music business and in acting, but in mental health for sure, right? Like mm -hmm. having someone that gets it, that understands your cultura, someone that understands the language or, you know, even the jargon that we use, uh, the the dichos, right? That we use in, in at the house or in therapy, where someone can just kind of pick it up and, and go from there, right? Like I've had patients who say, oh, it's bien mula and I do not need you to explain that to me. Like I know exactly what that means. And so absolutely, I think that we, we get a glimpse of how important representation is right off the bat, right in the beginning of the episode. Uh, but it translates into so much, like you said, right? Representation, not only like seeing Pocahontas and just, in general, what, what is that like for you in therapy with representation? What have you learned about how important it is? I, I think it's huge. Like you were saying, even back to thinking for me, my experience in grad school, right? Of one, making it to grad school and hearing about the percentages is can be deflating at times, right? If you're looking at it from the perspective of who makes it and who doesn't. But then if you're in a place where there's not professors who look like you, right? Or there's not clinicians or training supervisors who look like you. And I remember having both of those experiences. I got my master's from one school, my uh, doctoral degree from another school. And one in my master's school, there wasn't a lot of people who looked like me. There wasn't a lot of women. And so that again, felt like it was giving me a certain message. And then when I went to San Antonio, which is where I did my doctoral degree, to see people who look like me, to hear Spanish being spoken like just casually throughout the school, like that did something for me internally and gave me that final push I needed to to make it through kind of the, those those hard years. Yeah, I think more and more now we're starting to see so many more Latinx therapists and even folks at the doctoral level because I, for me uh, personally, I didn't have anyone that looked like me whether that was in my master's program or, you know, at the doctoral level when I was doing my PhD, there was no one in the room that really looked like me. Maybe maybe one or two folks that were not even in my cohort, but absolutely no professors, you know. I, I had an African-American professor for like my multicultural class and that was about it. Mm -hmm. So I think that now that we see more and more clinicians coming into the field, clinicians of color, Latinx clinicians coming into the field, it's gonna be a totally different experience and absolutely help with like destigmatizing mental health because we have folks that that just get it, right? Like it's it's different. And I think that we're not only with this series, but we're starting to see that, you know, there are some very unique factors that that we experience as a culture, as a group, you know, and even within that, there's so many subcultures that we can get into as well. So we see that they're on Johnny Canales. And the, you know, the bilingualism issue comes back up again. And so he kind of makes fun of her on TV. And I'm aging myself, absolutely. But I remember watching Johnny Canales and just, you know, watching Selena on there and just watching other, you know, musicians that would come on there. And you got it, like, <laughs> right? Like, this is what, that was his thing. Um, but we see the bilingualism come up w during the show and he kind of pokes fun. And then we see Selena, you know, on her bed and she's kind of like, watch, I'm going to, I'm going to learn it even better than you, Johnny Canales. What did you mm -hmm. take from that? Yeah, I, I think I remember, I think I spoke in the first episode about just language and how for many Latinx folks, there's, there's a wide range of what type of Spanish we know. Right. And yeah how sometimes situations like that are kind of these moments where you feel offended, right? Can, can serve as that fuel to then try to get yourself to a level that you're wanting, right? So I, I think I appreciated her not taking that moment and maybe falling into that shame cycle, which I think a lot of people do, right? When you think about the current folks in the world and who have those experiences and so, it was a, a really nice depiction of someone using a situation that could have been meant to shame her, but instead turning it around and being like, no, I'm gonna show you, this, this is what I'm gonna experience. Right, reframing it uh, more positively. You know, I was listening to a, um, 
another podcast and they were talking about the Chicano uh, moratorium back in like the 70s, I want to say. And at that time, don't quote me on that on that year, but I was listening to the Chicano about the Chicano movement and how, you know, we, we briefly touched on this too, how there's a historical context to why folks just don't speak Spanish, particularly third, fourth generation folks. Um, and part of that was because of the, you know, the entire climate in, in the U.S. back then. You know, there's so many other factors that contributed to, you know, whether we're talking about like the 1848 and the, you know, the treaty that ended up giving up Mexico to part of Mexico to the United States and how that impacted folks and how they were promised citizenship. But also they had to assimilate, you know, and not necessarily speak the language, kind of abandon you know, the culture and ab abandon a lot of the values that we had, including our language, um, really as a survival mechanism. But you're right, I think that she really was able to take that and reframe it and use it, you know, for her benefit. And she absolutely did it as as we know in, in her career. Um, so we also see them having a meeting with the teacher because Selena's missing so much school. And she's like, this just started off as like Fridays and Mondays, but now it's like, Thursdays even and they go they get into like this kind of uh, back and forth conversation about you know well she's getting good grades she's submitting her assignments what's the problem and she kind of hits them with like well this is this is where we're at there's laws your kid has to come to school um, and again right the sacrifice for the family and kind of putting things aside and at the end of it he's kind of like I'm you're not about to tell me how to raise my daughter and kind of storms out and I really have no idea whether he pulled her out of school or what that was, because I think we ended up seeing her back in school after that, and you know, in the episode, or maybe before that in the episode. So how did you think about that whole situation? Yeah, I, I think for me, it brought up just, again, a similar thing from last episode of that kind of parent-child divide, right, which I think is totally appropriate in certain situations. Um, but it, I, I think the teacher said something like, my concern is for the child, right? Not the band. And it, it gave me, I think, a moment of trying to to figure out Abraham's motivations and knowing like he he at the core of it really wants the best for for the family, right? But how sometimes that can be a little bit different than what's best for the individual. And thinking about that theme of familismo, which you brought up last episode too, right? Of how individual needs maybe aren't as focused upon if it's for the collective whole betterment, you know? So I think for me, that's kind of where that struck a chord. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, we see that, that sacrifice again come up or that loyalty to the family. And while at the same time, right, they're trying to figure it out because they're making sure she's getting her work done. She's getting her, you know, her grades are right. And he's like, she can read, she can do math. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> So really trying to find a balance between that and that can also be a cultural issue, right? Because in our culture, I think about our parents, specifically parents who have a low you know, education level um, where they often dropped out of school to work, right? Or to support the family. And I think we see that often in first gen uh, folks here in the States as well. But for me specifically, and I think I mentioned this last week, like my parents don't have a high level of education. And a lot of that is because they had to work, right? They had to go send money back to Mexico from the States or maybe just work in general, you know, and help out with whatever you could help out. So I feel like that's kind of a, a struggle too with Abraham, right? Because he's a, a newer generation than Selena is, at least in the, in, you know, in general and in the series. And so thinking about how those cultural factors also tie in, right? Even though he's more Americanized than my parents, for example, I think there's still that familismo that maintains, uh, it stays strong. Yeah, very much so. And I, I think it's important to for people to start to recognize that, right? Because it's never as easy as what's best for you, the individual, when you have all this familial pressure and support, right? So thing to think about when you're treating families in a counseling setting or in school settings or things like that. Yeah, and, and taking really a holistic approach, right, to, to treatment. Like, 
We, we joke a lot, or at least I've heard jokes or folks say, like, when you go to the doctor's office and you're a Latinx, you're bringing, like, everybody to your appointment, right? And you have, and I have had, you know, folks in the waiting area where I have mom, dad, the grandparents, right? The, the little kids, and they're all waiting. And so you have to really treat the whole individual. And the whole is, is way more than just the extended family, right? There's the different layers of biculturalism and the different layers that, impact each generation a little bit differently, but we still have like the same roots. So I think that's very important in terms of, you know, uh, treatment, but also in the approach that we take when we're working with Latinx families. So we do see that, you know, we see a little bit about the biculturalism come up again and we get to see Selena's room and she has posters of Madonna and Paula Abdul and we see AB's room and he has, you know, six posters and little Joe and she continues to suggest like, why can't we do something like Janet? Um, and even though they're singing like in a Tejano band and singing Tejano music, we see like the pop culture come up in the outfits that she's designing. And so I just thought that was a really good representation, a visual representation of, you know, how biculturalism really kind of blends in with everything else, right? We can be in a Tejano band, but at the same time, we love Paula Abdul, we love Janet, you know, we love all these other very American things and people. So we get to see a little bit of that come up again. Yeah, I, I think I, I really appreciated the underlying message of you don't have to choose. I know that kind of comes up in different ways throughout the series, but just finding whatever way you can to express who you are, which is that kind of combination, right, of, of both cultures and to try to separate it, I don't think is possible. And that's that creates a lot more difficulty. So thinking about it, again, it tying in the mental health piece of it, in the therapy room, I think I have seen that often where oftentimes recent immigrant parents want their first gen children to, to act or be a certain way, but really that that certain way is what they're thinking about their culture, right? And so to see them express themselves through their just outfits, right? It is, I think, can be an empowering thing if the parents kind of understand and allow that freedom. Right. And it seemed like Selena's parents did, or at least didn't protest too much. Yeah, and you know, it, when you were talking, it reminded me of like being in like middle school or even like freshman year back when like bell bottoms were in style mm -hmm. and like platforms and all these other like 70s clothing, right? And it was just so, I guess so off for my parents were like, we weren't allowed to wear like belt bottoms or like, you know, very, just very strict, rigid um, with, with the culture and the values and their expectations, right? Like a spaghetti strap was just out of the question, right? <laughs> and so just, just things like that, that really play a role because of biculturalism or because of, you know, parents that are immigrant parents and they don't really understand trends or, you know, even fashion, because I don't think a lot of folks had the option for fashion, right? Like you wore what you wore, um, especially if you were living in like some deep poverty, you know, conditions, you don't get to be picky about what you're wearing. And so um, I think there was other cultural factors that tied into why I wasn't allowed to wear those things. But I definitely think that, you know, the biculturalism piece definitely plays a role. So there was several themes that um, came up again. The scene where they're done with their gig, right, where they're playing the Tejano music, and then AB tries to reach for the envelope where, you know, they got paid or whatnot. And Abraham just kind of slaps his hand and he's like, why are you so worried about, you know, what we're making or how much we're getting paid? And he's 23 now, Suzette is 19, Selena is a teenager. And so they're starting to realize, like, we're struggling. Like, what if we're going to do this, then we need to do X, Y, and Z. If we're going to do something, we need to make sure that, you know, we're doing it right. And so he kind of volunteers himself to do these things on his own. And so he, you know, unknowingly, he's like, we need, we need new songs. We need this, we need that. And Abraham's dad's like, well, then do it. Right. So they're a lot older, they're realizing, you know, things need to be done, but he kind of signs up for things that, you know, as we see the, the series kind of evolve, 
we'll see how that kind of comes into play because he's taking a lot on his plate that right now we may not necessarily see how it's impacting him, but it absolutely does. So what did you, how did you interpret that? How did that resonate with you? Yeah, I, I think I appreciated him, AB, continuing to push, right? Of like, no, you, you have to let us in on this. It's it's what we chose as part of the business, right? Kind of using Abraham's own words, right? And, and kind of showing him, we're trusting you. So now we're older, you have to trust us, right? And then to see, again, just that, cyclical nature of their relationship of like, okay, you want in, then you're in, including all the responsibilities. This episode, I think really turned it around for me and seeing how much behind the scenes work AB did with the band with Selena's career and to really take on all that pressure. Um, and yeah, I, I think for me, it was interesting just to see how how their relationship evolved and how AB took a more kind of prominent role in the business side of things, starting with that moment of reaching for the money, right? And kind of wanting in on that. Yeah, and he's also 23, so very age appropriate, right? We'll talk about this in a, in a little bit as well about how that might be affecting him personally as a 23 year old, whereas Selena is still a, a teenager, right? She's still kind of living at home. She's more dependent on her parents still, whereas, you know, he's an adult now and we'll see a little bit more about how that plays out as, as we continue on with the series. But among those themes, one of the themes that really stood out for me was dad lectures. So we see Abraham throughout the episode kind of take on this role of like the strict parent um, where he's kind of lecturing. And the first lecture that we see him uh, give is to the, the new guitarist, right? So he's he goes into the living room where they're practicing and he's like, have they told you the rules? And he kind of breaks it down and you can just see, you know, Suzette's face and AB's face like, oh, fuck, here he goes again with the lectures. And, you know, I, I kind of found myself a little bit triggered because I was like, I feel like that sometimes when my dad's about to talk. I mean, I think I think even like doing a Christmas toast, it's kind of like, oh, man, where are you going to like, you know, <laughs> you know, where he just kind of takes on this role and he's like, these are the rules. Like, we're not the Rolling Stones and very like serio, right? Like a very serious talk that he's having. And then um, we later on, we see him. Uh, Selena's at school and her friend asks her, you know, can you come with me to, you know, Amarillo and we're going to do the hands across America thing for hunger and it's going to be overnight. And she's like, oh, yeah, no, that's not happening. And she's kind of like, have you met my parents? Um, so eventually she asks Abraham, can she go? And he's like, hold hands with Suzette in the living room. <laughs> he's like, I'm against hunger too, just ours, right? Like, we're going to yeah. do this. Like, this is for our our well-being, for our band. Like, they can worry about everybody else's hunger. We need to worry about our, our well-being. And so, so we see that little lecture, which I think we can all relate to, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, for me, it kind of sounded like, uh, you know, have you ever heard? <laughs> have you ever heard your parents say that? We're like, ¿Qué, qué amiga, ni like you're not going there. Um, uh -huh. So how it sounded to me. Again, that could be my personal trigger, and that's okay. <laughs> um, and then you know, we see later on that he's lecturing Abraham because he's like, you know, what's up with the keyboard player? And he's like, well, you're telling me about someone that you couldn't get. You know, and then lectures him about Luis Silva and do you think he's going to call you back? And, you know, he kind of has this this entire lecture for the whole family where he's like, if you're going to wait around for what you want, you're going to be waiting your whole life. Like you need to go and get it. You need to. And, you know, just continuing to kind of motivate, but also being the strong, like, I don't know, serious, more strict parent. Um, what did you take from that? I went on a journey with Abraham on this one. I, I think I had similar, you know, triggering moments. And this episode is called Tough Love. And for me, that's, oh, that like hits because I, I think it's it's very common, right? And I think it comes from just the nature of what you had to do to survive, like back in the day, right? You, you needed to like work, you needed to push through. There was no time for feelings. And so to see, I think those moments along with, there was a lot of wisdom in what he said. So I kept like loving and hating Abraham this the whole episode. And I 
I laughed out loud when he told Suzette about, or he told Selena, like, I'm against our hunger. Because I remember um, for, I think it was like middle school or high school, I would volunteer with Habitat for Humanity, like building homes. And I remember the first time I told my dad I was going to go do that, he was like, we got, we got stuff to fix in the house if you really want to work on some things. And it, it was, yes, exactly. And so it was just funny because it was so real, right? Of just that idea of, again, work, you gotta be tough. You have to kind of push through those moments that would otherwise bring you down, which again, I think there's some wisdom in those lessons. Um, and kind of my, my shirt says where I stand a little bit more of like feeling is healing. I'm a proponent of feeling what's coming up in the moment. Um, but I, again, I think he, Abraham did what he had to do to, to move the family forward, right? In the only way he maybe knew how. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, right? The way that he really knew how, because again, even though he's maybe second or third gen, we do see some of those cultural, like even like gender roles kind of, you know, peeking through where I think a lot of us grew up where with our dad who is more strict, right? Um, borderline, like some of us were scared of our dad, <laughs> right? <laughs> or even asking. And we do see, you know, Marcela kind of being that middle ground, that balance to that parenting relationship because she's more, you know, she tends to check in and, and, you know, she, when AB's upset about losing the songs with Luis Silva, she's kind of like, give him his space. Mm -hmm. But Abraham's like, no, I'm going to go talk to my son. And mm -hmm. I do want to talk about that a little bit, right? About the whole giving space or, you know, letting folks kind of have their own, you know, time around processing feelings and things like that. But he does go into the room and he talks to them. And, and even though he's very serious, right, he's, He's being 100% real with him. He's like, when you get knocked down, you get back up, you brush your knees off and you keep going. And you got this son, right? Like he's a man, you're a man. He's got a brain, you got a brain. And, and he's like, you can do this too. Like go write these songs. And so he does give him this um, support in, in a way. But also I, I think that some of us sometimes do need that time, right? That time to process and sit with our feelings as opposed to quickly just kind of brushing them off and putting them somewhere and picking up and going. And while that can be beneficial in some ways, I definitely think that in our families, we're often rushed to not feel, right? Um, or estás exagerando, or you're being dramatic, or it's not that bad, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And not really getting a lot of the validation that we need. I mean, he goes into the room and he's giving him that like tough love. And he's like, what are you moping about? right? Not really validating feelings. And for those of, for folks listening that might not know what validating feelings means, right? I think that was a, that was a new concept for me, you know, coming into this field because I didn't know I needed validation for stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But we do. And, and validation just really means acknowledging um, your, somebody else's feelings and the fact that it's okay that they feel that way, right? Allowing someone to kind of, how would you define validation? Yeah, no, I think that's perfect, right? It's it's really about that acknowledgement piece, the awareness, but and also just not being judgmental towards them, right? Like even if this might not be a way I would respond, the way you're responding is okay because it's coming from you, right? It's you, right? And so the non-judgmental piece I think is key and then like verbalizing in some way or just show, showing in some way, whether it's like back in the day when we could hug, right? Hugging someone and just like being there in their space of saying, it's okay. Feel, feel what you feel. There's no judgment, right? And, and like to your point, I don't think there was a lot of space for that in, like, for me personally, like growing up, right? First gen, I, I don't think there's a lot of space for that. And even thinking about my parents' generation and their parents, right? There's didn't feel like there was any any space at all because you're thinking about like basic survival. Yeah. And I like the, the piece that you brought up about non-judgment, right? Like that's the piece for validation. It's, and I may not necessarily need to understand or agree with how you're feeling, but knowing that your feelings are your feelings and that you're entitled to feel whatever it is, right? So validation in this situation would have looked like, hey, I know that it sucks to have lost these, you know, these songs. Like I... Mm -hmm. 
fucking sucks, right? And just acknowledging that. And I can understand why you feel bummed out, why, you know, you feel low or whatever. Um, but on top of that, you know, he says, Abraham, AB brings up some some very good points. He's like, I'm 23. I don't have a girl. I don't have a car, right? So now we're starting to understand back in the beginning of the episode where he's like, dude, like we're not, we're not cutting it. We're not making ends meet. And so when we shift that from a 23 year old male's perspective, right, that also has a significant impact on him. And so there's that lack of validation. Um, even when, and, and from Abraham, right? So not only do we have the tough love and the lectures, but we have that that lack of validation across uh, across the episode where, you know, at the beginning they're performing and Selena's like, how did how do you think we did? Because they're so proud of their performance. And he's like, you guys were all right, right? Or the song gets played, the song that AB writes gets played on the radio. And he's so excited and he's like, I just heard the song, you know, playing on the radio. And Abraham's like, so what? Lots of people have, you know, one hit wonders. When's your next one? And so instead of like giving the opportunity to celebrate those small wins, right? It's kind of adding that that stress of, yeah, but what are you doing now? Right? Like not even being able to celebrate that small win or to savor, you know, that moment. It, you see the look of disappointment on him after Abraham's kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, and, and that's kind of a common theme that we see. So what, what did you, how did that resonate with you? What did you interpret from not only the tough love piece, but also the lack of validation and how that translates into, you know, a cultural perspective um, in terms of a lot of us having more strict dads than moms and, and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that scene where he hears the radio, where AB hears the song on the radio and has that moment of, and you could see how his eyes light up, but then it's kind of crushed like that, that hurt. When I, when I was watching that one, because it was from the screen, I was literally yelling, like, just one thing, just give him that moment, right? And I, I think that can often create this desire for like approval seeking, right? Where you're, you're, you're not getting the thing you're wanting, you're not given the space to, to celebrate those small moments. And so I think we'll, we'll see it later. And even in this episode, just the stress that can cause on someone where you're just constantly chasing the next thing. And so when I think about the culture I grew up in and a lot of what I see in therapy, I, I try to get people to like slow down just for a moment and just live that moment because just by doing that, you can create so much change, right? It's just like one little step extra that could maybe give that person some reassurance, some break, some moment of relief that they may not otherwise have. Yeah, because I think it can also come across as like, um, you know, we develop these, these core beliefs about ourselves, right? And core beliefs are these, these not so positive things all the time that we start to believe about ourselves. And in that situation, I can see the core belief of I'm not good enough, or what I'm doing isn't good enough, right? Mm -hmm. And Stress, of course, we start to see, especially in a clinical setting, we see anxiety um, because you're not allowed to necessarily be present in the moment and to savor that, you know, that experience that they just had, whether it was the show or, you know, having the song played on the radio. But it creates this um, this core belief about the self, but also exacerbates or increases anxiety about shit, I got to get on to the next thing. Like this obviously isn't good enough yet, right? Thinking that you accomplish something awesome only to be disappointed or even to some extent rejected, right? Like, yeah, this still wasn't good enough. And so I, I, I feel like we see that often in, in different ways, right? And not only in Latinx families, but families in general, where, you know, there's this un, these unspoken expectations and whether it's children or um, adults or moms not feeling like they're good enough, um, you know, for whatever it is that they're doing. And so that creates some, it, it creates stress and anxiety and, and being present really is all about savoring that moment, enjoying, you know, what's happening here and now, instead of being worried about the future or the past. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think just that idea of giving yourself credit 
right? For no, some things that might seem small, but I know I work with a lot of women who are spouses, mothers, caretakers, do so much, but because they can't do like the one thing they're expected in a certain situation, they get down on themselves, right? But I think reframing, like you were saying, to just acknowledge or, or understand or be aware of the things that you are doing can, can be huge, right? And, and then uh, again, a step further from that is hearing from those around you, like, good job, I'm proud of you. Like, yes, there's more to do, but it doesn't have to be either or, right? You can say, I'm proud of you, live this moment, and what's our next step, you know, once you get there. Yeah, and you know, for Latinx parenting, I think it's absolutely important to, you know, it's different, but to implement, you know, validation for our kids, to validate their emotions, whatever they are, to know that kids, teenagers, or even adult children are entitled to have feelings about certain things, and whatever those feelings are, you know, again, taking a non-judgmental approach, but also praising the small wins, right? Because that's going to do a lot for future performance. It's going to do a lot for, you know, how we cope with different situations or how we even see our own small wins across our life. And kids start to develop these core beliefs at a very early age. And so if we have parents who are validating, parents who are you know, giving space for kids to process their their negative emotions, right? We, I think we oftentimes as parents, even though, and, and the dynamic is very much the same, I think, in Latinx families, if AB was a, a minor, right? As long as you're living in your parents' house, like, parents are the boss. Mm -hmm. And um, we do a lot for our children when we allow them to feel their feelings, when we provide space to feel those negative emotions. And just because someone is a minor doesn't necessarily mean they're not entitled to have a bad day or they're not entitled to be in a bad mood or to be tired or cranky or whatever the case is, you know, and as opposed to kind of going and being in their face and not being supportive or lacking validation for what they are going through. I think as Latinx parents, it's really important that we change that narrative of how things how how we interact with our children as well. Um, so we see, you know, we see AB feeling kind of like a failure because he's not, you know, he like I said earlier, he doesn't have a job, he doesn't have a girlfriend, he doesn't have a car. He's twenty three, and he's probably way behind what other twenty three year olds are doing, right? And in his neighborhood or his friends. And on top of that, he's missing out on being able to have, you know, a, I guess a quote unquote normal life. And so. This really brought up for me, you know, mutual support and having that balance with Marcela, who, you know, is constantly checking in. We see her check in with Selena at like the affair they're performing at. And, you know, she's like, I just want to make sure you're happy. Don't you wish you were just like a regular teenage girl? And, you know, Selena's like, I'm happy. I love doing this or whatnot. But she's kind of that balance, right? She's the one that's like, no, give him space or, um, let them be or checking in and, and kind of being that emotional support. And I think that balance is really important in families. Um, I think for a lot of us as well, mom was kind of that emotional support, the person we can talk to about stuff. Um, part of that is as, as a girl in a Latinx family or as a, you know, an older uh, <laughs> girl, the, the firstborn uh, in a family. So there's a lot of different factors, but we, we know that that balance is, crucial um, to our development. What was that like for you? Yeah, and I think I, with that, just the idea of modeling, right? Because I, I feel like as the series develops further, you see the bond that the siblings have, right? And I, I don't think that's possible without seeing it modeled somewhere, right? And I think Marcelo does a good job of being kind of that emotional person, right? In, in a positive way of, like you were saying, just like, feel your feelings, take your space, check in. And I think the siblings end up doing that for each other. So for me, it just highlights the importance of kids are always watching, that they kind of learn from seeing other people relate to each other, right? And the most immediate way is between, you know, parents, between mother, son, mother, daughter, and those kind of relationships. So um, I think it's important to, to continue to make that space and to, to be aware that Kids yeah. are watching our behavior and are learning, right? And we'll eventually emulate that in some way. Yeah, so kids do what they see, not what you say, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of on that 
on that um, in that aspect. We also um, see how coping, you know, plays a really big role, right? So even though we see Abraham kind of being this lecturing strict dad, he also drops some gems for them, right? Like he he also has some really strong values about you know pers persevering and being consistent and. Uh, keeping on, keeping on, right? With whatever, you know, life throws at you. And so one of the things that came up for me is we, there's some research about coping and how the way that we cope with like daily stressors is more important and has a bigger influence on our mental health than how we cope with like things that are uncommon, right? Like huge traumas or disasters or catastrophes. The way that we're dealing and coping with problems on a daily basis or stressors on a daily basis is gonna do a lot more for us in the long term in terms of our mental health. And so we see that play, you know, play a role here because he's teaching them like, hey, just because you lost these songs doesn't mean you can't write songs or if you wanna go, you know, do something, you better go get it. And he's teaching them these great values, but he's also teaching them how to cope with difficult situations, right? How to pick yourself back up and keep on going towards your goal. And, and so again, we, we see some of the biculturalism come up in here, chasing the American dream, but at the same time, we see some effective parenting, right? So uh, there's, there's other research that talks about the way that we approach coping. Um, so we positive re, if we positively reframe a problem where it's negatively correlated with psychopathology, right? So when we approach a problem that way, we reframe it in a positive manner. You brought this up earlier with, you know, Selena. She had a small problem, the Spanish speaking, and reframed it, you know, in a more positive way. And I think that Abraham Abraham did the same thing with AB, where he reframed it, and he's like, "You're a writer. You you're a musician. You can write songs too." Um, really gave them the skills to to also think like, "There's nothing that I can't do." Yeah, no, I, I, and that was, I think, one of the biggest scenes for me that just further emphasize how multidimensional we are and how Abraham, that moment, I was like, he is wise. He is helping them develop the, these strengths that are going to help them in the future because there's obstacles in everyone's life, right? And how you approach them, I think, is to your point, like a, a, a bigger influencing point towards a result right so going towards a problem and not seeing it as a problem right or seeing it as a learning opportunity or a challenge right can greatly influence it versus if we see something as this is where it ends right this is a problem that I can't get over and so the perspective shifting I think is is huge and Abraham I feel like does a good job this episode of having conversations to bring that forward yeah and really you know reframing something in a more positive way can can mean you know taking seeing a barrier or a problem and seeing it as this huge mountain that we can't necessarily overcome to finding a different way of seeing the problem and using it you know to our advantage using it to kind of fuel something else or to find a different solution uh, and just a different way of seeing things like you said um, so later on, we see A.B. packing his luggage. He's getting ready to go to San Antonio because he wants to talk to Luis Silva to get this song, right? Or maybe in the uh, previous scene. And so he has a list of items on the side of his luggage. And, you know, he's checking off all the items that he needs to pack. We see him finish packing. And then he turns back around and takes everything out of his luggage again, right? And this kind of just made me think about like rigid thinking and um, OCD, PD-like symptoms, right? And we're not, I'm not necessarily saying that he has, you know, OCD or OCD PD, which is an obsessive compulsive personality disorder, right? Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, we have no, we don't, won't have enough information to say that, um, but it kind of just made me think of that, right? Because I think to some extent, a lot of us might have some of these characteristics. And while I don't see, you know, anything that's happening with AB impairing his daily functioning, right? And I say that because um, when we talk about a mental health disorder or a condition, it, it's only a disorder or a condition if it impairs your daily functioning, 
right? And functioning is so many different areas. So we talk about, you know, interpersonal functioning, occupational and like work functioning, um, your ability to function at school. So when things start to affect your ability to do those things, then it's a mental health issue, right? That we need address, that we need, you know, some clinical interventions for. Um, and so again, I'm not saying that this is what I'm seeing with Abraham. I absolutely don't think he meets criteria for any disorder, but I just thought it was interesting to note. And so I wanted to take the opportunity to kind of talk about that because I feel like we loosely throw around terms like, oh, like you're so OCD or, you know, mm -hmm. and re we really don't know what the hell that means, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And so really finding, um, differentiating between OCD, which is an obsessive compulsive disorder, and then obsessive compulsive personality disorder, where the first OCD is not only anxiety based, but it's, they're very severe symptoms, right? It's very rare. It's not a common thing that, you know, we see in, in terms of the population. Um, but we also, we seem to think about like, if we have to check that we, if we lock the door, you know, five times, that's OCD. Well, it's not, it's more like, I can't go to work and I'm late because I spent an hour and a half, you know, doing that. It's that extreme. So that's OCD. Where on the other hand, we have obsessive compulsive personality. And this is more of a person who has a very um, orderly personality, right? Like things need to be in a certain order. Um, I like to do lists. I like to stick to the rules. I like to do things a certain way. And there's a certain level of perfectionism. And it's not necessarily a disorder. It's just a personality trait that may interfere, you know, with our relationships with work. So for example, wanting something to be so perfect that you miss your work deadline because you wanted it to be so perfect. Like that would be something, you know, that would be OCPD-ish. But I did wanna talk about it because they both cause anxiety and even at some level, right? Even if we don't have um, that rigid thinking or that need for perfectionism to that extent, I think a lot of us may have some of those traits, right? And so we see that this can cause some anxiety. And so we'll see this play out in some of the episodes. But I just thought it was really interesting that they chose to show us that just that one very brief scene where we see his list, he's checking it off, has it all packed, walks to the door, walks back and starts unpacking again, right? What, how, did, how did you interpret that? What did you think about that scene? Yeah, I, I think the first time I saw it, so I've seen every episode probably twice now. Um, so the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, he's got a real good packing routine, right? Everything's orderly and it's great. Yeah. And then when I saw it the second time and seeing how he revisits it, for me, I think it brought up more compassion for AB because I, I see it unfolding each episode more and more of the stress that he gets put under. And again, my love-hate relationship with Abraham, I feel like feels that because it's, I see the pressure he's under, right? And how for a lot of, I think, Latinx folks and thinking about in, in different ways, male and female roles, like traditional gender roles, the pressure associated with both of those, how that can create maybe not poor coping, but attempts at coping with it, right? Like you mentioned earlier, how we develop these, these ways of coping with situations, emotions that we're not either dealing with directly. And so that for me is how I connected it with AB a little bit more of his attempt, usually anxiety-based disorders stem from this need to control something, right? And right. feeling lack of control in different ways, right? So with OCD, you're, you're checking, you're doing these behaviors that are an attempt to make you feel better about something, right? To, to calm you. But in reality, it just creates more distress. And so it, it I think, just emphasize for me the importance of space and time and validation to, to maybe avoid some of that, right? Like, because when you see him, you can see the distress in his face when he's ready to go. And then he's like, oh, nope, I got to do it again, right? And I think that's just a small glimpse into it. And I'm interested in, in looking more into his story and just even through the episodes, how some of that pressure may be related to how he's managing some of those things. Yeah, and we can see how the parenting trickles down, right? Like how it impacts even a 23-year-old, let alone a, I don't know, seven, eight-year-old in the home. And so even, even that thought about like, even having that thought of, I don't want to fuck this up, 
this is this is that stress, that anxiety level that is created when we set these like unattainable expectations for our, you know, our kids or we put so much pressure on them as opposed to really just taking the time, validating and still getting the same end result, right? Still uh, being able to get there, but maybe with more validation, maybe with more support um, and and less of the minimizing of victories, yes. you know? So that is what I took. Do you have any last um, comments about this episode? Um, anything else that resonated with you? Yeah, I, I think just less mental health related, but still related. This episode was really what turned it around for me in terms of wanting to finish the series. So I think I would mentioned to you some of that I saw the first episode and it kind of stopped because I think a lot of folks were comparing it to the movie and this is a totally different story, right? I think the second episode really shows us the family aspect, the like background, the importance of family, the the family story, right? And then this episode, I think, create put that little bug in me of like, I'm intrigued now. I, I want to see where else, this, where this goes. So for anyone out there who had a similar first episode moment like I did, I, I would say the second episode is really giving you a bigger picture and um, a very interesting one that'll make you want to watch the rest of it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely a turning point and it's where you kind of get hooked, right? You want to know what's really happening behind the scenes in the story. And I think that happens because in the first episode, we see like young Selena, we see a lot of the stuff that we already saw in the movie and we're kind of like, okay. But once we get to that, you know, the second episode, it's absolutely a turning point. We get to see, you know, the the struggle and what's really going on, especially as they get into, you know, the older years, maybe, you know, I don't know, 10 years before they kind of blew up completely. And so I, I'm excited about, you know, dissecting the other episodes and talking about those Latinx factors that are coming up and mental health factors and just really, you know, tying that into how that shows up, not only in, in therapy or, you know, in the home or whatever the case is. So thank you so much, Dr. Mejia, for joining me again. And I look forward to dissecting episode three with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and that some of the things we discussed resonated with your spirit. When things hit different, as I mentioned last week, or sometimes even when I'm frustrated, I say deep sigh on that. Reminding myself to connect with the breath and that it's safe to feel my feelings, whatever they are, good or bad, and to stay present with them. So if anything resonated with you, or if you had any takeaways or insights, please let us know by using the hashtag DeepSciOnThat. Be sure to look out for our upcoming episodes on living authentically in 2021, integrated healthcare, psychological testing, and several other mental health related topics. Be sure to go to the show notes for links to our website and check out the Erase the Stigma merch. We donate 25% of profits to fund mental health services for BIPOC. In the notes, you'll also find information about our guests and yours truly, Dr. Sandra Gray. Don't forget to share this episode with any Selena fans you might know and join us for the next episode. And if you haven't already, subscribe, give us a rating, and your honest reviews and feedback are much, much appreciated. Thank you.